Terry, we turn it to you, brother. Thank you. <laughs> well, I hadn't even got to hardly talk to Alan since I got here. I mean, we've been so busy, and uh, I was texting him yesterday. I really played a good trick on him. I was texting him all the way. We actually flew from San Diego, California, where we jumped across the border to Tijuana, Mexico. We figured if Mexicans can do it here, we can do it there. So we just jumped across the border and had a conference over there. But I was texting him all day saying, okay, we're at the airport in San Diego. Okay, we're leaving right now. Okay, we just arrived in Dallas. And then all of a sudden he calls me after I arrived in Granbury. He says, Terry, was I supposed to pick you up? <laughs> and I said, yeah, we're sitting here at the airport. Where are you? <laughs> but it, we were just playing with him. So anyway, we had a good time. It's good, good to see Alan again. And all of you, it's good to see all of you. Well, yes, there is snow in Haiti. It's us. And so if you want to go ahead and flip the slideshow, or I got just to catch you up, me and Eville. Eville, will you stand up? Isn't this a beautiful lady, a woman of God? God's treasure to me. Amen. It's important we do this, men. <laughs> Flowers go a long ways. You know? <laughs> but go ahead, let's flip the slide. And Christian is out there going, and uh, keep just, yeah. And then uh, that's Christian up there on the camera, and then that's uh, actually um, the black one there in the center. I don't know if y'all can see it as good, but uh, Wilna is our adopted daughter, and she just came from Thailand, a Haitian going to Thailand. If y'all remember, our, our whole focus was Haiti is called to be a blessing to the world, and here our own daughter went all the way to Thailand. I hadn't even gone to Thailand, all the way to Thailand sharing the gospel so, and then there's our, our kids, and if you wonder if our kids do weird and crazy things like they do in the U.S., you see there, they obviously do. That's Samuel upside down while Ethan watches him, our youngest. And then there's our Wayne, our oldest, there with the sunglasses, and Samuel and Elizabeth, and they were actually having a giant water fight at the campus there. Uh, keep going, and uh, just keep going one more time. Now, we are grandparents. That's hard to believe. For some, I see a lot of you known us since we were like, very young. We were talking to somebody, and uh, I think they said they remember when we didn't even have Wayne. So here we are now with three grandchildren. So our oldest son, Wayne, actually got busy with his wife, Katura, and they got, we also got three. I think last time we were here, we might have had one grandchild. So see, they've been busy. <laughs> they've been busy. We're, we're going to be fruitful and multiply. So Granberry needs to get out there really quick because I'm getting tired of this. You know, we're having the fruit. You know, we need to recruit some more from outside as well. And then that's Christian there. He's been doing his videography and uh, Wilna there in Thailand again praying. And uh, we have Elizabeth is doing a dance camp. Our, our daughter is uh, involved in doing a dance camp, and she just accepted 30 new applicants uh, to come to the dance camp and be involved, and, and she's going to be teaching them how to dance and different things like that. That's Samuel, and Samuel has just completed high school a year late. It's not because he failed. It's because he's been doing things like that. We have floods, and he's like, I want to be in the action. So he goes out there, and he helped repair a dike where that river behind him just overflowed and literally flooded a whole area, cutting off about 13,000 families from access to health care and getting out to get supplies. And then we have a little Ethan up there. He's 14. He's not little anymore. Believe it or not, he's as tall as me at 14. So uh, he's really growing. So um, it will, I've got a short video I'd like to show you here real quick. And it's just a short one. But this was done by Christian, our son, who runs a TV broadcast, which is the pop, most popular TV program in St. Mark. 
where it airs to about 350,000 viewers. And um, he did this uh, video clip, and you get a, it, it's a promotion for our training school, which I wished all your young people were here because I'm trying to recruit every one of them to come to Haiti. But anyway, you'll get a little glimpse of some of the stuff we're involved in in Haiti and stuff. So go ahead and roll that clip. I just knew I was going for the purpose of building a real relationship with God. It's about who is God, who has God created you to be. I can tell you that you're going to be changed completely. There's a lot of people out there that don't think you can hear God, but actually God wants to communicate with you. This helped me to know who God is more, not just to go to church and just to live life, but to actually have a relationship with Him. It's about becoming Jesus' disciples. You can give up everything that you had in your mind before. You're brought into an atmosphere that is so community-driven. They're like my sisters and our brothers. There's constant times of just being able to challenge each other. Why did I come to Haiti? Why waste your time on Haiti, Tiffany? I believe that if you want to know God, you've got to go to a place where you need God. You would have a different view of how people live all around the world. I live to know Jesus come to die for us. You don't just get to learn who you are in Christ, but you actually get to go out there and put it into practice. So we don't know where we're going or what we're doing. We don't know who we're ministering to or who we're ministering with. We don't know. We should rely on the Holy Spirit to make a plan for us. Maybe you go to church or you follow rules or you feel like it's an obligation. But when you have a relationship with God, it's something you love to do. I start to understand the Bible more and then I start to working in it. If you're going to be a light for something different, then it's going to be tough. Just constantly are having to trust the Lord. The food you eat, where you get to sleep. People are laughing at you while you're trying to work or you're trying to help them. You're not only living God inside of a classroom, you're living God every single day of your life. Oh, crap. <laughs> There's going to be times where you're going to have to pick yourself up. You're going to have to die to your flesh. It's only going to take five months of your life. Everything that I have learned here, I can take them with me. It's using what God's given you to transform a nation. When you go and share your testimony and people's lives are changed, that's what it's for. It's all about bringing people together who have a heart to make God known. At the end of it, you look back and you say, this is what the Lord brought me through. So when you come, be ready. Amen. Lord, we thank you so much for today. We thank you, God, that you have come to visit with us. We thank you, God, this isn't just another Sunday service. This isn't just another missionary coming up here. But, God, we're in your very presence, the presence of the living God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who said, let there be light, and there was light. The one by your very voice, your very word, you speak those things that aren't into existence. We thank you, God, that we're able to come and worship you freely in this place and that you come to abide with us in this place. And, Lord, I would just pray that you would speak to us now. Speak to each person here, Lord. You have a word for each person that has come this morning. Lord, may your, your, your word, the Bible, just leap out of the pages to us. May we get fresh revelation from you, God. How are we to survive? How are we to breathe without you? In this place today, God. So we so desperately need you and we cry out for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Before, as I was here and praying, I just 
felt like God gave me a vision for you as a fellowship. And this first vision was for the whole fellowship, and then God gave me a second vision just for you who are here today. But the first vision, I saw this ocean and a wave, and it was like a giant swell. And I was expecting this swell to just come crashing down. How majestic is it? I mean, you ever see those crashing waves? You know how cool they are, how powerful they are? And I was thinking, you know, oh, that's cool. You know, I was waiting for it to crash, but all I saw was a swell. And I said, what does this mean, God? And I really felt like God said that he's building a swell of the power of his presence and his spirit amongst you. And then I saw people that got caught in the swell. And the wave didn't come crashing on them. No, it just drew them into the swell. And the swell got bigger and bigger and bigger. I never saw it crash. All I can say is I just really felt like God said, I'm building a swell right now uh, in your fellowship. And, and uh, God's going to be doing some incredible things. And then after that, I said, God, what do you have for these people right here this morning that came this early? And I felt like God said to tell you, you are not coasters. That's what I felt like God said. I see a lot of young people. You know, you're like, where? No, you, all of you, we're all young. I just turned 50. We're all young. But God's word that he spoke to me was that you're not coasters. In other words, your time is not finished. You aren't to coast through the rest of your life. That God still has things for you. And that even in this swell, you're going to play a vital role. You aren't here for the ride. You're here to be a part of it. And, you know, I was, as I, as I dwelt on that and I, I began to just thank God for that, I thought about some situations that just recently happened with us in the mission. That Wayne, my oldest son now, has taken over the St. Mark campus. I'm doing only national. We have four locations now in Haiti. And I'm doing only the national. I'm doing a coaching. I'm doing the um, passing on to the next generation phase. And as I was thinking about that, I thought about a situation that just recently happened where my son was really freaked out. And he was like, how is this going to work? I don't know what to do. I'm just, and he was trying to do everything he could. And I basically just told him what needed to be said to basically let him know there's a tomorrow. And you know that generation, this generation rising up, they're going to have fights. They're going to have battles. They're going to have challenges. They're going to wonder, how am I going to get to this nation? How am I going to see the airfare come in? How is this going to, am I going to live past today? And they need you to say, there's tomorrow. I just really felt that. You guys are going to be, you, you are not to be disengaged, but you're to be engaged in all the youth. It's not just for Yvette. It's for all of us, all of you, and that you're going to, you need to expect God to use you, to speak in to those that next generation as that swell builds. You're going to bring the stability that brings the power. You know, there's more, more power and energy in a swell than just a crash because a crash is the expelling of that power, but the swell is the strength and the power. You know, and I just really want to encourage you with that word this morning and really feel like it was from the Lord. If you'd like to turn in your Bible as a missionary, I, I've got to share on Matthew chapter 28. It's just not right. I don't think God would approve if I didn't read this scripture. <laughs> Matthew chapter 28 is the Great Commission, verse 19 through 20. And it says, uh, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Well, I tell you what, it's been exciting these last year and a half, two years since um, I've been able to be here with you. We've seen God do so many things. We've had uh, crusades. Um, Last year we had a crusade. This year we had two crusades already, one in two different cities. And uh, God has been moving. This year when our crusade kicked off, um, we just started seeing an incredible response of salvation. Um, We saw people coming forward. And they weren't just coming forward. They weren't just raising their hand. They weren't just coming sheepishly to the stage. They were actually invited by the pastors, the Haitian pastors. And, and by the way, um, Alan was right when he says, I can, I can call the pastors and pull together. But it's not 40. It's more like 100. But <laughs> we have pastors seminar at these crusades, too. And we have 200. We have 300 that will sign up, 200 show up, you know, and then all the church leaders and everything. So God is really doing some incredible things. And I can remember when I got thrown in prison, we had 45 pastors, which is a huge gathering, um, to talk about what happened. And then a month later, we had 95, 94 pastors. And today, there's well over 250 churches in St. Mark. So we are seeing some incredible things happening as far as that goes. But at this crusade, I want to tell you one testimony. This one girl came up, and they had actually put chairs on the stage. You want to get saved? Get serious. Get up here on the stage and sit in the chair in front of everybody, which is also being televised live on television. So these people would come up, and one girl came up, and she was the queen of a voodoo festival. A voodoo festival had just happened. They had a, they, they nominate a queen, and she became the queen of the voodoo festival. She came up to get saved. She got saved on television. Then the next day, she came forward and said, I'd like to share my testimony. And she shared her testimony to everybody on television in St. Mark and at the crusade, how her whole family had been involved in voodoo as long as she can remember, and that how she accepted Christ, and Christ has come into her heart and changed her heart now. God is on the move. We have voodoo doctors now. They aren't willing to surrender to Christ, but they're asking us, well, Terry, what do I do if I turn to Christ because I have five wives and 32 kids? How am I to support them? You know, and what that tells me is, one, they're really mixed up about Christianity. You don't merge with God. You don't, con- you know, you don't uh, just kind of like work out a deal or an arrangement with God. You surrender to God. You, you let go of the past, and you fall into his arms, and that's the whole faith venture. Will you catch me, God? You know? And so, but the thing it tells me is, is that the witch doctors, the greatest witch doctors, the ones who actually do curses against people to die, those people are seeing the end game. They are starting to realize, I cannot continue this for very much longer. And so they're trying to negotiate a position in the body of Christ. (laughs) We'll pray that they get there. That's how you can pray. If you want to pray. I have one guy, he's been not practicing voodoo for four years now. And he's still sitting there saying, I'm just waiting for Jesus to come and give me a revelation. Now, that all sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, who? that's, that's positive. But for four years, what he's really doing, he's waiting for God to come make a deal. But God hadn't showed up. And I told him, I said, God ain't going to show up. He sent me to tell you, surrender. That's it. That's the deal. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but he hadn't surrendered yet, so we need to pray for him. 
But anyway, I can get going and going and going. But God called us to go and make disciples of nations. Right before I left here, or left here, left Haiti, I was sitting down talking with the mayor, who is a good friend. And the mayor said to me right before I walked out the door, I, I told him, I said, hey, I got to go for a trip to the United States. I'll be gone about a month, just so you're aware of it. And uh, he says, oh, who do I call if we have a hurricane? I tell you what, we are so influencing or discipling the city of St. Mark that we're integrated, interwoven. And now I just came from Tijuana, Mexico, where I talked to some people where we're trying to work up a program where we actually train an emergency disaster uh, group for St. Mark that would be Haitians being trained to respond in disaster. And with that, we're going to gain influence and begin to disciple the whole city because, see, right now they build every which way, and then we'll use metaphors like, hey, your house is in the wrong place. If you build your house upon the sand, the Bible says it will fall. If you build your house here, it will tumble in the river because of erosion. And we'll start preaching the gospel through metaphors using that with that influence. You see how that works? It's incredible. But anyway, that's not the main part of my message. But I just thought that was cool because I just came from Mexico and so on. But anyway, let's read the last. Y'all didn't, y'all, nobody stopped me here. I was kind of upset with you guys. You said you didn't finish. You should have told me I didn't finish. I didn't finish the verse. Did you notice that? Did anybody notice that? Because it goes on and says in verse 20, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Uh Uh-oh. How often we leave that out of the Great Commission. But that's the most important part. That's what it's all about. God says, as you go, I am with you. And I, let, me, let me let you know that if you aren't going, he isn't with you because he's going. You ever think of that? If you're not involved in the Great Commission and you're sitting there today and you're saying, I just wish I had more God, I wish God would touch me, go! Because you've got to go with him to experience him. And he's always there with us, no matter where he tells you. If you're nervous about going, I don't know about that, but I don't know. Hey, let me tell you about this time when I was in 2004 and there was a war going on. And the deputy, which is kind of like a, I don't know how to describe it in our terms of government, but he's kind of like a congressman, but a commissioner, I don't know. He's, but anyway, he put me in charge of our neighborhood, but I'll say zone because they call it zone there. And I didn't speak any Creole to you. Tout mon bien, je no? Okay, I just wanted you to hear the language anyway. Venezuela? Oh, you don't know that either. Well, that's praise the Lord. But anyway, I just wanted you to hear the Creole language. So we, we were talking, and he says, Terry, I want to put you in charge of your zone. And in that zone, uh, I want you to make sure that nobody walks around with guns and has guns and shooting people. I said, okay, hey, that's what every missionary does, right? <laughs> and so here I am, and I'm in this zone, and all of a sudden one day I'm driving down the road, and here are these two guys standing there with guns in my zone right in the middle of a wartime, you know. And so I get out of the car like every other, well, at least Texan missionaries should do, Texan missionaries should do, and I get out and say, hey, give me your guns. And he, they're like, no, we ain't giving you our guns. Hey, I'm in charge of this zone according to the dead. Give me your guns. We ain't giving you our guns. And then all of a sudden this whole gang of people came out from the neighborhood, and they all had guns. These guys had pistols. These guys who came out had AK-47s. You know what those are? Those are the kind of go bat, 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 bat. <laughs> That's what those are. And big shotguns and all kinds of stuff. And they came out of the zone. There's about ten of them. 
And I'm sitting there, and I look at him, and I'm like, wow. And so I did, you know, I grew up reading David Wilkerson's Cross and Switchblade, you know. So I just took that instinct, and I looked over at the biggest guy, which was named Samosa. He stood bigger than me, had no, no sleeves on his, his, his um, shirts because he sported his tattoos of flames. And he looked over, I saw him, I said, give me your gun. He had an AK-47, you know. I said, give me your gun. He said, I ain't giving you my gun. I said, I said, give me your gun. The guy next to me said, just shoot him. So they all circled around me and another wildlander that was there, and I just kept saying, give me your gun, and started praying. This is why you should have quiet times in difficult places, because you don't always get to hear God in an air-conditioned building or cushioned pews. You might have to be out there, you know, in the field doing something, you know. And I'm sitting here saying, give me your gun. God, what do I do now? Give me your gun. God, help. Give me your gun. And all of a sudden, God said something to me. And this is why you need to learn to obey the voice of God in your quiet times instantly. And I just did that because I trained myself. And I said, and God said, make a phone call. That's what God told me. If God ever tells you something bizarre, just do it. He's training you for something else, if nothing else, later on, you know. <laughs> and so I pulled my phone out. I said, give me your gun. And I start pushing my buttons. And I'm sitting there, give me your gun. Who do I call God? Give me your gun. Who do I call God? <laughs> and then all of a sudden they said, okay. And then they just lifted up their guns ready to shoot us right there on the spot. And then all of a sudden I just said, God, what do I do? And it just came to me. And I just held my phone straight up in the air. And I said, just go ahead and shoot. The whole world's listening. And just pointed my phone, looked them square in the eyes, just went around the circle. Just go ahead and shoot. The whole world's listening. They didn't know what to do. It just totally freaked them out. So they put their gun down. They jumped in the car and they took off. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's why that's so important. That's why he didn't forget to put that in there. If nothing else, it was for Terry Snow in Haiti <laughs> at that moment, standing for Samosa. That's why he put that verse in there. Have you ever had verses like that? God gave me that verse. God put that verse in the Bible just for me. We all have been, the thing I want to point at, the theme I want to give you today is we've all been saved for a purpose. In the Bible, the Bible says we've been saved to have a relationship with him. We hear that a lot in church. It's all about having a relationship with God. But then we see the Great Commission. It's all about having a relationship with God and sharing that with everybody else. Well, that's pretty bland. I don't know about you. That's like eating oatmeal in the morning. That's, that's just bland. That to me is like putting up an easel up here with a, a canvas. But there's no picture on it. It's just a blank canvas. And that's really how our lives are before God gets a hold of us. In the beginning, it's all about, well, you just got to start getting to know God, and then you got to spread it. But as we start living our lives with God, that's the color that goes on the canvas. A lot of people say, man, I wish this wouldn't happen to me. I wish that wouldn't happen to me. I wish my mother didn't get multiple sclerosis. But she did. I wish this didn't happen. Why did this happen to me? I, I don't understand this. God, you have forsaken me. You ever had that moment? I was there. But 
you know what? Like I, I always tell people, how do you know what cold is if you never experienced hot? How do you know what good is if you don't know bad? Did you ever think about that? God made the world full of color. How do you know what red is if you don't know blue? I feel sorry. Anybody here colorblind? I feel so sorry for the colorblind people. Because they don't see the color that God made. But I tell you what, all of our lives are colors. And not only is God putting our lives, you know, making a picture for the world to see an expression of who he is. But he's also, each one of us are a unique color that he's using in a grand picture that declares his glory and his goodness and his mercy and his grace and his power and his strength and his compassion and his slowness to anger. You ever had someone, God, why don't you just do something with that, that guy? Why don't you just do something with that boy? <laughs> My grandfather, uh, before he passed away, he told me, he says, Terry, you know, I was just so, so tired of trying to pray for you. And finally, I just, I think it was after I got, had a car accident and was thrown in jail. I think he said, I, he said, I just had enough of you. So I just said to God, I give him to you. I can't do nothing with that boy. <laughs> just... I just give them to you. I give up. <laughs> and God was just sitting there saying, waiting on that, waiting on that. <laughs> you know, and he took that ball. He didn't forget about me. He said, well, your grandfather gave up. I'm not going to do anything with you either. No, he took it. And he ran with it. Our lives are to be expression of the greatness and goodness of God. And everything you've gone through, you are all wonderfully seasoned people here. You are so full of color and life. And a lot of you are like, well, I don't want to share about these things. I don't want to talk about my life. You know, that's crazy. Every time you don't talk about the good or the bad, you're hiding your creator from those who are lost in the world. That's what you're doing. God did not call Alan to evangelize all of Granbury. He called Alan to convince you, you can. <laughs> now, he'll demonstrate. He may coach. He may model. But the swell is going to come from you. There's three things that I see that keep people from flowing into, from just knowing about God to letting God be known. There's three things. The first thing is uncleanness. The second thing is unqualified. The third thing, just not willing. The first one, uncleanness. God has an answer. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. What does it say? Woe to me, I cry. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. How many times I've heard when I've been out trying to recruit people, recruit young people, come be a part, do something. Oh, man, I've got problems, man, I've got problems. Who doesn't? I'm sorry, who has not sinned in this room? Oh, we're all guilty. 
All of us have fallen. All of us have struggles. All of us have weakness. And that's the different colors of life. And yet, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all of them. That's what it says. Revelation chapter 12. It says in verse 11, it says, we overcame by what? The blood of the Lamb. Is that scripture real or is it just a suggestion? That's real. So for all of us who are sitting there saying, well, I don't know, I, I, you know, I've got issues in my life. The minute you say, I've got to be holy before God can use me, is the minute you say, I don't need Jesus. And you know what? Don't go out there. The world doesn't need to see somebody trying to be holy. The world needs to see someone that will forgive them, that will cleanse them, that will give them something more than just, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't just um, pardon them. He erases it. That's what the Bible says. He casts it as far as the east is from the west. How far is that? It's still going. I don't know. There's no end to his forgiveness. And the world doesn't need to hear. I mean, that's what the world tries to kick back. Oh, bunch of hypocrites. Bunch of hypocrite Christians out there trying to tell me what's right and wrong. Well... Maybe they're right. Maybe we do have some hypocrite Christians that are out there trying to convince them that they are holier than them. But that's not Christianity. Christianity is not about me being holier than you. It's Christianity about we're all unholy, yet Christ has made us all holy through his blood. That's the message. And so we've got to convince the people out there the true message of the gospel in a way that they can understand it. In a way that it relates. The second thing, unqualified. How many times are people, well, I need to go to this school, I need to go to that school, I need to do this, I need to do that. Well, I, you know, I don't know how to preach. I don't know how to lead somebody to Jesus. I don't have, you know. Well, first of all, none of us save anyone. None of us save anyone. It's, it's an illusion if you think you need more knowledge. Let me tell you what the Bible says qualifies you. Very simple. Revelation chapter 12, 11 again. And they overcame by the word of their testimony. Ah, we're back to life again. Your life is a special color that will communicate an aspect of who God is that somebody in this world needs to see. What qualifies you? Your testimony. What qualifies you? Your life. What qualifies you? You said Jesus is the only way. What qualifies you is I've experienced his touch. You can go out there and you can talk the gospel all day long and people will try to argue with you. I remember I was in Bourbon Street one time in Louisiana in the middle of sin capital right there in Mardi Gras. I was trying to share the gospel and some guy walked up to me, well, I don't believe in the validity of Jesus Christ. And I'm like, I'm trying to do this argument. We accomplished nothing other than he thinks he was right and I knew I was. That's all we accomplished. But if I tell somebody, I was a miserable, wretched, drunken, Granberry Texan. And then God came into my life, and I've been transformed, and, he's, and now I'm going around the world to share that love, that love in which he wants to share with you right now. How do you argue with that? What philosophy? They say, well, you know, I don't have a good testament. I don't know. I'm... I'm, I'm sick, I'm crippled, I'm hurting. Well, there's a lot of sick, crippled people who need to know that there's a tomorrow. 
and you're the living proof of it. That God still loves them in light of all their problems. A lot of people think you've got to have a good testimony. I grew up, when I grew up in church, my dad said, when I grew up in church, we had people come into the church. And when they came into the church uh, to preach for us, they talked about how they were a drunken, miserable person or the, how God saved them from a wretched sinner. And I kept hearing, that's all I heard. And I kind of came to a conclusion. The only way you can really get to know God, be a drunken, miserable sinner, the worse sin you did, the greater you'll know God. What a deception. We need people out there that never have been exposed to that, sharing with those and keeping them from that. And we need those who have been out there in it, saying that God is able. And we need those who are saying, I'm still struggling. Well, I am too. That's why I can't. You know how many people I talk to say, I can't come to Christ. Because I need to straighten my life out. Is anybody straight here yet? You know what they do in a loving yard when they have a bunch of warp boards? They put them all together and bundle them together. Definition of church. <laughs> Some of you are catching that now. We're all a bunch of warp boards. And we're all bundled together. And God bundles us together because in our warpness we straighten each other out. And they'll come back after a month and all these boards will be straight again. Did you know that? You didn't know that. That's what they do in a lumberyard. They take all their mismatched boards and they're all warped and crooked. And they put them all together and bundle them tight. Keep making them tight. Did you ever feel like Alan was tightening down the screws on you? God was doing it. He was tightening down the screws, making you work with this. I don't care about them. Do I have to be in their home group? You know, I don't like that person. You know, I, I do why did they have to sit in the same side of the pews, the church seats as me, you know? Uh, why did they, that's my chair. Why are you sitting in my chair? All this stuff that we think is just peddly stuff. It's just a bunch of warped boards being bundled together and God straightened them out for the glory of him. <laughs> and people out there that don't know Christ need to know it's not about perfection. It's about his perfection. They need to know that. They need to hear that you're not perfect either. And the last thing, unwilling. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, once again it says, And they overcame, not by the blood, or by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of the testimony, and they weren't willing to shrink even to the point of death. They laid down their lives. They said, Not my will, your will, God. That's what I did. When I, when I got saved here in Granbury, it was a little church of God. I think I don't even know if the building is still standing. So funny, they had linoleum floor and wooden pews. And the wooden pews were warped. I remember sitting in that pew, and I was hanging on to the side, and I was just under such conviction, I was shaking. I think I rattled and vibrated the whole pew. Everybody thought it was God moving. It, no, it was me under conviction. And then when I came forward, I mean, it was a snotty mess. Which I had time to talk so many times. You know, entering Christ is a born-again experience. How many people have seen a birthing? It's not, it's not just a little simple thing. Oh, it's so beautiful, not like television. No, it's a mess. And the kid comes out screaming. If there's no emotional reaction when God touches your life and saves you, there's something wrong. That's what I tell people. <laughs> that came out a slobbery mess, screaming, crying, and everything else. But as soon as I could compose myself the one word that god said to me you must go and as the first words i must i must go i remember the girl that was with me go where i don't know i must go (laughs) 
Why? Because I was surrendered. My life was not mine. I was dead. Now I'm alive. When I've had guns to my head, it's just a reminder. Terry, remember, you said you were dead. And then after I lived through it, but I'm alive. I share that with others. There's nothing greater than surrendering your life. That's important. If you were bored, die. Start approaching that death walk and see how life comes back through the resurrection power of God. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 8 says also, Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Now that's God. A lot of people always say, here I am. You know, they all say, well, I'm just waiting for God to say. And you get the impression here, God was looking, maybe even today. Who will I send? Who will I send? And then it goes on. It says, and who will go for us? So when God is looking at all of us, he's saying, who shall I send? But with the desire, with the urgent, with the, the hunger, who will do it? See, it's never a question about, well, I'm just waiting on God. It's only a question about, are we open saying me, me, Lord, me? You're not too old. And if you think you are, you better be at least sending some of these young people. Because when you get involved in the Great Commission, when you start surrendering, I just talked to a man, and I'll close. I'll just talk to, I'm sorry, Woo, time flies here. I'm used to these hour, hour and a half long services, preaching we have in the mission field. It's really hard, but at least, yeah, anyway. So, the thing is, is I, I talked to a man recently, and he says, Terry, and I don't say this to boast for him, and he didn't say it to boast for himself, but maybe he said it because he God wanted me to share it with others. He says, I now give 100% of my income for the cause of Christ. He's not even taking income anymore to send people to the cause of the mission field. And actually, the reason why I think he was telling me that was because he had been a big supporter of sending, 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 and now God had just spoke to him that he is supposed to start a ministry in his own city. After he's given 100% of his income to, to the cause of the gospel, now he says, now I want to give 100% of my life. I want to work full time. And his whole goal is to be a father to the fatherless. He wants to take young men who are in broken homes or whatever and just be a father to them, teaching them how to shave, how to get a job, how to do a resume, how to just learn to be young men. What does God have for you? I don't believe you're to coast. That's the word of the Lord for you. Where is your part? Are you saying, here I am, Lord, send me? That's the challenge. I want to thank everyone here for your support. Right now, uh, Ingvill and I are going through a little bit of financial challenges. But the one challenge we never have is wondering if Generation is going to send us something monthly to help us through that month. You guys have been so faithful. 
because of you, you know, when you invest like that, you're at the crusade. You're there when that girl, that voodoo queen, says yes to Jesus and then stands up in front of his, her whole city and says, voodoo behind me. That was you. You're there when the 13,000 families are flooded out and nobody's coming except for us. And we block it up and we tell them now, would the witch doctor do this? No. But Christ did this. Why don't you turn to Christ? You're there when we deliver food. You were there in Poirier in January, a village that was known for voodoo and criminal activity. All the criminals go there to hide out while they're being chased by the police. You were there when I stood up and I told those people, I don't care for you, but God cares for you. I didn't want to come here this morning. That literally happened. I told them I was so disgusted with these people. I had done so many things to help them. They just spit in my face. And so I just told them, I didn't want to come here. I, I, but God said, come. So the only reason I'm here is because of God. As a result, 60 of them repented. The biggest conversion we had at that village ever in any of the other village combined. 60 people came to Christ and said, yes, Lord as I shared with them, how much Jesus loved them even more than I could love them. And they said yes to Jesus. Now they've given us three pieces of land, three different pieces. They're all fighting over who can give the piece of land to us so that we can get more involved in their village and start giving them a, raising up Christians to raise a church up to, to do all that kind of thing. You were there. I wish I had time to tell you all the many stories. The daily stories. But I also want you to know you're also there. When I have one person come up in the morning and they say, my family member just died in the hospital. They've been in the freezer. The body's been in the freezer for over a week. They're going to dump them in a public grave if I don't get money and have them proper buried. What do I do? I can rob Peter to pay Paul, so to speak, and give him something. Maybe I should do that. And then two hours later, somebody comes in and says, if I don't get the same amount of money that this person needed to get the body out, if I don't get the same amount of money, my my relative will die in the hospital because they need this medicine that bad. That's the kind of choices we're having to deal with on a daily basis. We're standing there for God, supported by you, and we're helping make those decisions. And we really appreciate, appreciate that. But I tell you what, any way you can help us right now, it would be greatly encouraged because we just have no idea how we're going to make it through all the different challenges we have right now. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Can I just pray for you as I close? Lord, I thank you so much for this body here. Lord, they have been so faithful. So therefore, I ask you for a blessing on them. Lord, I pray, God, all the cries of their hearts, Your Holy Spirit will just come and start answering those cries. Oh, God, that you would make them wealthy in you. And if that means wealthy financially, so be it too, God. Release the gates of heaven. Oh, God, bless them, anoint them, and meet their needs. In Jesus' name, amen. Heaven beats earth like a unforeseen kiss and